What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Team Chat Podcast, a video game show where we talk about games, the ones we love, the ones we hate, and everything in between. I am one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined across the power of the internet by my good friend and co-host, Rachel Mogan. Bonjour, no. I'm Bonjour. your good friend. Wow. Best friend. Sorry. Sorry. Best, Best friend. friend. That's even more embarrassing. Why? I was already embarrassed by good friend. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, it's true. We do this show every week. It's just a realization, you know, that's what, how awkward must be, be recognized. Like, how awkward would it be if I were like, I, I need you to walk that statement back. <laughs> just it's not for not We're, reciprocated. Are <laughs> you like a friendly acquaintance? No, I, I, I saw the video. Four years. I saw the uh, video you sent me for my thirtieth birthday. Oh, We're, we're fr- yeah. I think we have a higher level of friendship. Dang it. I did say that you were a good friend. Bummer. <laughs> caught gotcha. you. Caught gotcha you in it. Caught in a lie. <laughs> but yeah, you can hear us talk about video games here on Team Chat Podcast. New episodes come out. Tuesdays, 9 a.m. Central Time on podcast services around the World Wide Web, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and others. You can also watch a video version of each episode over on our YouTube channel, so hit, check that out at youtube.com slash teamchatpodcast. You can find us on social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can join our Discord server, where we talk about video games and a lot of other fun topics when we're not here recording the show. And finally, if you'd like to help make the show bigger and better, you can head over to patreon.com slash teamchatpodcast, where it's for as little as a dollar a month, you can support the show in return. We'll give you cool perks like getting the episodes early before the general Tuesday release and access to a private channel on our Discord server, The Rogues Gallery. But if you can't do that, that's no big deal at all. We totally understand and appreciate your support and helping us make the show bigger and better in other ways, such as telling your friends, writing us reviews, just spreading the good word of Team Chat Podcast. That helps make the show bigger and better as well. And we greatly appreciate and love all of our listeners and patrons alike. Heart. Emojis. I love that this has become a new thing that we do now. Yeah, the heart emoji. It's especially easier now, like with the webcams, because we're doing this distance still. Yeah, Just I because know. you can look directly into it, and you directly, don't have to like contort it's your heartfelt. body. <laughs> it's heartfelt. It's heartfelt. In the arms of the angels. <laughs> there we go. But before we ch- <laughs> subscribe to the Patreon now to support two starving podcasts. For now, that's what I call music. 75 featuring covers of Sarah McLaughlin's In the Arms of the Angels. Oh, that would be excellent. <laughs> what if it were a whole album of just covers of that song, but like in different musical styles? That'd be like pretty funny. Like one is big band and one is new wave. And somebody one is, would buy it. You know, Goth rock. Somebody would love that. <laughs> done in the, in the stylings of Within Temptation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Our favorite band. Favorite band. It's so good. Well, before we jump into the uh, into our main topic of the day, we have to do a little bit of news and find out what's coming out soon in our moment with Mogan. Of course, there's always games coming out, whether we want them to or not. And well, we're starting we're to get we're starting to get into the heavy hitters of the fall territory. Yeah, we are. Uh, nothing coming out this week is going to be that big, though. So I would consider this to be like a lighter week than some of the ones we've seen before. Fort ramps uh, up so. big time. Coming out today, as of September 15th, we have eFootball PES 2021. That's for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. We've also got Spelunky 2 is making its way to PlayStation 4 on September 15th as well. On the 17th, we have Medieval Dynasty for PC. On the 18th, Crisis Remastered, and Crisis is spelled with a C-R-Y-S-I-S. 
So I hope that on the cover it's someone like very dramatically crying and it's like crisis remastered. Oh, crisis! <laughs> that like that like totally blanked when you said it the first time. Okay, okay, I know which game that is. That's like I that. have no idea what that is. It's I've never played it. It's one that's held my interest uh, that I've I've been interested in before. Just never got around to playing the series. But apparently it was like for even though they're fairly old games, even at the not fairly old, like maybe ten plus years old oh, okay. um, since the first crisis was released. Even then, they were applauded for their uh, great graphics and and everything like that. And then being kind of like requiring a powerhouse machine to run, kind of. So it's kind of fun to see those coming back to the main to the main consoles or the current consoles, I should say. Yeah, because those are the Crisis Remaster is coming out for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. Uh, Also on the 18th, we have Super Mario 3D All Stars for the Switch. So this is the one that is the like bundled title of games. It's got Mario 64, Mario Galaxy, and Mario Sunshine. Nice. So there is still a little bit of the like, well, why are they charging full price for all of these old games? But, uh, you know, it is what it is. If you really want to play them, now you have the ability to play them on the Switch. So I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, I got um, I got my pre-order in. Going to go pick nice. it up Friday morning. Could have fun time because I got this, uh, I got the the physical versions so that way Sam and I could like put them both on our switches because right you yeah. can't like we'd have to well I guess I don't know anyway I got the the physical version because I thought that'd be That's more fun plan. for this one anyway yeah absolutely uh, and then on the 18th as well so it was along the same vein as Super Mario 3D All Stars really exactly as good same quality we have WWE 2K Battlegrounds Ooh, can't <laughs> wait. PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Uh, on the 20th, we have Hello Neighbor. What a pleasant sounding game. But it's coming for Stadia. So, <laughs> whatever. Stadia uh, and subscribers then on, get that game. Yeah, sure. sure. And then on the get 22nd, excited. Get excited, Stadia people. However few of you there are left. Uh, and then on the 22nd, rounding out the next of the next of this week. That didn't make any sense. Whatever. We have 13 <laughs> Sentinels. Aegis Rim. Uh, no idea what that is, but sounds cool. And that's for PS4. Very cool. Very cool. So also last week on September 10th, Ubisoft held their second Ubisoft forward where they gave us a little bit more information on, well, some new reveals actually, and not a whole lot on games that were already been released. I mean, they did talk about, uh, like just dance 2021. They gave more track update stuff. They did talk a little bit more about watchdog legions and said that, Hey, Aiden Pierce, the playable, the, the character from watchdogs one will be playable or will be in watchdog legions. So that's kind of cool to see. Although like, why not the character from watchdogs two? Marcus, why not? Why does he not get into Legion? Maybe he does, and they're just saving sure him for a later reveal. Dead. Yeah, maybe. That's a good question because I haven't played two. So maybe so. I don't know. <laughs> Might not be possible. <laughs> but they also gave, but before we get into the other things that they talked about, we got to we gotta call Ubisoft out here because obviously, as you know, Ubisoft has been in a lot of hot water recently due to a lot of uh, claims and of sexual harassment and everything coming from a lot of higher ups in the company and just, you know, sexual and just harassment in general happening there that has led to a lot of uh, internal investigations, a lot of people leaving. But in all of this, though, this is even before, like started coming out before the first Ubisoft war they held back yeah. in June, I believe. Yep. And so been going on for a long time. And just now, before this Ubisoft forward, Izguimo, the CEO of Ubisoft, finally released a statement in a video because people were, were saying, like, why didn't you do this before the first one? And yeah, then, for real. So before the second one, he does finally release a statement. But separate video, separate post, s- separate from the event entirely. And 
there and where he apologizes and for all of it and is deep says he's deeply deeply sorry for everyone who was hurt and all that and but still though come on ubisoft you like, couldn't include it in the forward you couldn't yeah, include then, it you know like in, in streams and stuff later it's due, to, it's due to time constraints we but, couldn't include it due to time constraints that apology wasn't an hour long you absolutely could have included it it's well, just cowardice and also as like I'm, you don't even have to be in production like video production like me to know this is a pre-recorded thing you yeah. can just re-render a new version that has the that has the the apology video hard. tacked onto the front so get over yourselves ubisoft like you're that's some bullshit yeah. right there you it can, really is there's like what 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 were your time constraints the the person who hit play on the live thing had to make sure they got to lunch by noon like come on no just like play the video it, include the video in this messaging because that's a stronger message than having it be the separate thing like you're trying to be like oh cool check bark check box yeah you know i mean releasing it this way just makes it very clear that they're trying to hide it they're trying to hide their apology because they're trying to hide the entire ordeal yeah. they just want people to forget that it happened and it's like we haven't <laughs> no no people it's it's an ongoing thing uh still waiting for some resolutions there so yeah thanks for the apology but no thanks for it being so such a clear attempt at sweeping things un under the rug it's yep. just it's just cowardice is what it is yep so that's kind of shitty so do better ubisoft be yeah better do better because that's that's not acceptable and how to handle yeah. big and, ha and how to handle situations like this it is not but uh, so the, the two big announcements outside of that uh, from the Ubisoft forward is that we did finally get God and Monsters. We got new information on that, which it's no longer Gods and Monsters. It's now Immortals Phoenix Rising with Phoenix spelled F-E-N-Y-X. So real quick, I, overall, <laughs> I am actually pretty excited about this game. Same, but I same. Do, I do briefly want to drag the game for having like such a dumb edgelord spelling of the word phoenix i yeah. was like really effie in my head it was kind of silly it totally seems like something a 14 year old would do on like a community forum they would like have their username be dark phoenix but the phoenix but there's no x's like three x's with two capitalized one and then like 420 oh, yeah, or 69 so yeah. it's not quite uh, that level but still you i get where what? you're going <laughs> I'm going to go on ahead and call the name on PS5, Dark Phoenix 42069, so nobody Do says it. my name. That's Do my it. new name. Go ahead and just put in the fill, fill out the form to fill that out to change that now. Get I'll write to curve. Sony like, hey, if you guys could please reserve my name for me, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, that game actually does look a lot of fun. I still wish it had kept the name Gods and Monsters just because that's kind of cool. It, it, se it seems a little cooler sounding than Immortals Phoenix Rising, but... Uh, still looks like it's going to be a very fun romp through ancient Greece and dealing with Greek mythology. Uh, you're basically going to be fighting a Titan. You've been brought by the gods to defeat a Titan. And so you're throughout this whole you journey beyond these through these different realms, fighting big monsters. And it looks like you're going to be able to unlock a lot of different skills and everything for you. The cool thing is, is it's not an, like a hyper realistic art style, which I appreciate for this. Like, especially because Ubisoft had just been giving us like Assassin's Creed odyssey which was in ancient greece so if you turn around and gave us another great game hyper realistic the confusion is bound to be there so it's yeah, really cool it would just be boring. It yeah would just be done it'd be like we just got this game why are you giving this to us again so this is really cool like it definitely has uh feels kind of breath of the wild-esque both in art style and just like look and how the combat plays and, and everything uh but super i'm pretty interested to get into that one and, and learn a little bit more about it uh, yeah, me too. Uh, this is actually one of the few Ubisoft games where I'm like, yeah, okay, I'd give that a shot. Uh, well, I'm not like 
exceptionally excited about it, but I would definitely like to give it a try. Mm -hmm. This is a game that I would give a fair shot. I do see the similarities to Breath of the Wild, but I think I mentioned this on our Discord. It does seem to have a much more complex and engaging combat system, Mm -hmm. which I think is a great distinguishing point. I think that's a good move. And it also has fully customizable character. Like you can change your character to like do be any anything like you can even give like like even go like a more god look or like i saw like green glowing eyes and all this other stuff tons of customization options for you to choose from so that's the natural distinguisher among character creations as you well know how old can i make my old lady character that i'm inevitably going to craft there you go if she doesn't have the deepest craggy wrinkles i've ever seen i'll sue i'll sue (laughs) (laughs) for discrimination against old women man you just add it to the list yeah just add it just 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 (laughs) toss my hat and be like i'm adding to the civil lawsuit The other big announcement that a lot of people were working were looking forward to, though, from the Ubisoft Forward was also that the Prince of Persia Sands of Time remake yes. has been officially announced. Although it was when the actual I wasn't able to watch the forward live. And so as like I saw the big announcements coming through, I was like sharing them to our discord. And even though I had to go watch them later. And so I uh, saw the Prince of Persia trailer. So I posted it. And then uh, our good buddy Brandon po- responded. And it was basically like, this kind of looks like a PS3 game. What's up with this? And I was like, oh, really interesting. And when I finally watched it, I was like, they're using the term remake loosely because like, let's just yeah. call it remaster and move on because that yeah. like it, it does not look greatest, the greatest in terms of graphical fidelity. So as far as, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a gigantic Prince of Persia stan, but I absolutely understand why people love this game. And I, I think it was well overdue for a remake or a remaster. Uh, certainly between when it came out and now, I mean, that game is old at this point. Mm-hmm. So that does also mean that they have a lot more ground to cover in terms of like upgrading it graphically. So I kind of understand why it doesn't necessarily look better. But, you know, my questions are how long have they been working on it? And you know, is there anything about the game that's been changed other yeah. than just the graphic upgrade? Because if not, then it's like, okay, I'm I'm cool with that because, you know, there's always, you always have to be a little worried about Ubisoft because you never know what they're going to do to, like, F a game up in terms of the not super customer friendly um, approaches they often take. So the fact that it doesn't look better just kind of makes me think, oh, they probably didn't touch it that much. Okay. <laughs> That's so true. That in can, part, I mean, it's like that kind of makes me feel better. But also, I understand that you know this is a really popular game from ye olden days. It probably could have been done a little better. Well, like Just I feel like I feel like if you're gonna if if like, I have missed out on the original Prince of Persia games too, and was looking forward to this one as being like the introduction into that series because you know hopefully this would be the signal that like hey we're revamping interest in this to then bring out new entries later on, um, but. When you're saying you throw in the word around remake and especially of an older game like Final Fantasy VII did a remake and it looks totally new, totally different. Prince of Persia, if you're calling it, but whereas even say Spyro the and Crash Bandicoot tr- old trilogies being brought back. Yeah, those yeah. are remastered and brought to like current graphical standards. This one just from the trailer alone, which trailers are supposed to be especially and uh, like often derided for being too overly uh perfect in what they're going to deliver 
this one didn't really hold up to what I would stay, what I would, I would have accepted if they called it remaster. I'd be like, cool, they're upgrading it, making it look a little nicer. Like, I mean, kind of like what they're doing with, with what Nintendo's doing with Super Mario 64, you know, it's not being totally redone to match today's standards of graphics, but they're cleaning it. They're cleaning it a little bit. You know what I mean? And so it's kind of, it was kind of interesting to me that they're like, no, it's a remake. And I'm like, but this so, looks like a, three, a 360 PS3 game. So my conspiracy then about this is maybe that's exactly the point. Maybe they had the trailer intentionally not be that good. And then the mm. actual game is going to come out and it's going to be way better. It's like reverse psychology. Like inten- yeah, they're intentionally setting the bar really low and they're like, oh, just you wait. You're going to be <laughs> blown away by comparison. It would be an interesting strat. It would be an interesting strategy. Yeah, because then their, their, their word of mouth marketing is really going to have to take off because everybody's going to be like, oh, I saw the trailer, wasn't impressed. And like the five people who buy it are going to be like, no, it's really great. And then it blows yeah, up. They're, they're just going to take the world by storm. Prince of Persia 2021. Best. Ever. Uh, I think it is Game of the year. Out in, it, it, it is coming out in 2021. Did I read that correctly? I believe so. I could be okay. wrong. I can double check real quick, but I think that is it is going to be coming out. But yeah. Immortals Phoenix Rising like is in March. December. It's like December 3rd, I believe. Yes, I think you're right. Uh, I want to say January 21st. I think Prince of Persia is Jan 21. That sounds correct. That sounds Pretty right. Pretty sure. But yeah, so uh, they like I said, they announced some other news at this as well for other some other games. Those are the two big announcements that we had from the Ubisoft Forward that we wanted to focus on because we didn't want to spend a whole lot of time on that because we're continuing our mini series, if you will, of the greatest of the last generation or the PS4, Xbox One, as those game consoles are nearing their end. Oh, because that was the other big news. I knew there was something else that happened. I was traveling this last week, so my news was kind of off. But uh, the Xbox Series S and Xbox Series X pricing and release dates were officially confirmed. Whereas the Xbox Series S is a smaller, uh, smaller console. It's going to be rolling out at $299, and the Xbox Series X will be rolling out for $499. So, and then this is a Tuesday when you're listening to this. Tomorrow, then uh, is going to be Sony announced a web a another broadcast for from them where I'm assuming. Dear God, at this point, if it's not the price, like what the hell are you doing? But yeah. uh, there hopefully should be the pri- get pricing information for the PS5 as well. But so uh, pre-orders for the Xbox consoles will be starting soon. So you can find all that stuff out on their website. But yeah, so con- the new generation is almost here. And because of that, we are celebrating some of our favorite things from the previous generation, from this ending generation. And last week we did uh, favorite hidden gems from the previous con- generation. This week... We're going to do our favorite characters from the PS4 and the Xbox One, which I got to say, before we got started recording, I was telling Mogan, I had a hard time whittling this list down to three. Uh, I had the opposite problem. I'm so like I approached this from such an exclusionary standpoint that I was like, who's worthy? Who's worthy to be on the list? And, you know. You could always argue like, wow, those are the three you picked. I don't really get that, but whatever. (laughs) I mean, again, it's our opinion. There are favorite characters I am betting you at least $10 Ooh. that you and I share a game in common or even share a character in common. And oh, I think see. I think we might be able to like piggyback it together because I, I can I can guess what one of yours is. And mine is the companion piece. <laughs> oh, I don't I don't I don't know, actually. Ooh, I maybe ha- not then. I think the one that I, I think where you're where you're uh, 
What, where does yours fall on the list? I was gonna say I can go ahead and start, but if you if you're you're teasing this pretty good, so I feel like if mine this was is, gonna be like number one. <laughs> okay, then we'll wait. We'll wait. Um, but I can go ahead and kick this off then. But no, I don't. I yeah. really don't think we're gonna actually uh, cross over that much. I think the character that you're that you're we're thinking of. It's they're in my honorable mentions, but I don't think quite they're not going to quite make it into the top three. I think, like I said, I was like thinking of this. I had like my number one and two were super easy. The number three slot is where I really had to fight for it. Um, And so what I eventually settled down on this one, though, because I tossed around a ton of different characters in here. But where I eventually settled number three for me is Dutch Vanderlyn from Red Dead Redemption 2. Oh, okay, starting with Red Dead 2. We're starting with Red I mean, Dead 2. It's, it's best the console, and that's the console, so there's no <laughs> other option. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, so Dutch Vandalin is, uh, he's portrayed by Benjamin Byron Davis. And so uh, his character in Red Dead Redemption and Red Dead Redemption 2 and Red Dead Redemption is that he is the leader in two of the Dutch Vandalin gang. In, in Red Dead Redemption 1, he's the disgraced ex-leader of the Dutch Vanderlyn gang. But so why I liked him so much, and I was kind of wanting to have a villain in this top three anyway. Um, and so I was, and he's probably one of the, well, if, in my opinion, one of the best uh, villains of this last generation of games because he is his character is so well done and so well, and so well acted by Benjamin Byron Davis. He's, but what makes him so good is that he's always so he's always scheming and he's always trying to like figure out the next play, but he, and you can know, and you know, especially from red dead one, that he's a scumbag, but in two, what I thought was so well done is how you're leading this band of outlaws. Yes, but and you're a part of it as Arthur Morgan, but still, he seems like a good, like he's legitimately looking out for the best of the gr- of the group, and he does view them as his family. And he's like, you know, we got to do all this stuff. We got to run to this next place and hide out. We got to go do this next job because this is going to give us the money we need to be able to go to this place where we can really be safe and we can really be s- secure financially and in our freedom. But the thing is, is you as the game goes on you can tell that he's really not this benevolent person who is here to grace the big gang with all these bounties and riches that he's promising them. He's really just this dude who's looking out for number one and you're just the way to help him get from, to get what he wants for himself. Because especially as the game goes later on, he really crumbles as this, the power that he thought he had with this gang starts to fall around him as Arthur, his like his second in command and like best friend starts to doubt him and to say like, Hey Dutch, I don't think we're doing it right. And Dutch, no minute, no matter how many times Dutch can be like, well, I have a plan. It's like, no, your plan's failing and you're getting people killed and we're killing a lot of people who don't need to be killed. And you're putting a lot more people who need to be in danger, who, who do not need to be in danger. You're putting a lot of them in danger, such as like when I talked about in that, our recent episode of memorable moments, when his dealings with those two families wind up getting John Marston's son kidnapped and then give it, and then hand it off to like a crime Lord in San Denis. And so it's, it's very interesting to see his from the very beginning of the game, how he's posed as this incredibly strong, you know, like I said, generous benefactor who is always looking out for his family, but really in, 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 Reality, he's actually a coward who's looking out for himself because at the end of the game, slight spoilers here for Red Dead Redemption 2, when it finally does get down into the nitty gritty where you're facing off against Dutch, uh, you know, when when shit really hits the fan, he just he abandons everyone. You know, he takes his money, all the money he can get and he runs. He you know, he's like, I put on this 
show long enough of trying to, of acting like I care about you all. I don't, I just need this money so I can be safe and I can get away. And so it's just very interesting to see how, how a, he was able to hold everyone to him and close to him for so long, because that is what, where I think he's a great character. He is incredibly charming and he has this incredibly eloquent way of speaking. And also I just love his voice. It's this really gruff, deep voice, but also kind of raspy. It's, it's, it's interesting. I've always wondered when I was playing the first, the Red Dead and Red Dead 2, I was always like, man, his voice is so cool. I wonder how closely that actually matches Benjamin Byron Davis's voice, or is this like something like a a totally new voice he's pulling for the character? And I've since then started following uh, Benjamin Davis on, on Instagram and everything. And he'll do the same, like a lot of, uh, actors and everything have been doing recently like reading plays or sonnets and stuff like that. And no, that's just his, like, it's pretty close to his normal voice and everything. And that just something about it is even in Benjamin Byron Davis and watching his videos, I'm like, I'm captivated by it. So of course, like that translates over into Dutch and makes what makes Dutch such a captivating and compelling character. And so seeing that though, him being this originally at the beginning of the game, this powerful figure that everyone's like, oh, Dutch is so great. Yeah, he missteps every once in a while, but who doesn't? He's just doing what he can, what he can for us to near the end. He's just like, nope, you know, fuck everybody. Get you know, Arthur, you've tr- you've betrayed me. Get out of my gang. I'll I'll kill you next time I see. And I'll like I'll I'll kill anybody who's getting in my way. It kind of becomes he becomes that you know trapped in a in a corner kind of character, and he's just like yeah, and he doesn't care. He doesn't care anymore at all. He doesn't care at all to try to put the, forward this this brave face. He's just like nope. I've always cared about number one all the time, and you suckers fell for it. I'm out. And so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I just think, especially as a villain, because I mean, and he's a villain, like he's, he murders people in cold blood all over the place. He, uh, well, doesn't mind putting countless other people at risk to get what he wants. But I just think between, uh, Benjamin Byron Davis's performance as Dutch, and then just the writing of the character just, just came together so well to create such a compelling villain who you at times feel for. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, there are times in the game you're like, oh, man, this sucks for Dutch. Man, that's really hard. He's got a lot on his plate. But then you're just like, no, he's a piece of shit. And so I just think how well the game balances those two things and his portrayal, I think, makes Dutch Vandalin one of my favorite characters of the last generation of game of consoles. Yeah, that's excellent. I mean, you know, I've never played any of the Red Dead games, so there's only so much emotional connection I have to these wild, wild West cowboys. But right. you always do such a good job of bringing them to sparkling life. Oh, well, thank you. In some cases, the sparkling light of perhaps a burning mansion. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's how brightly they sparkle. Yeah, shine bright like a diamond, you know. That's song yeah, shine bright like a diamond. <laughs> You know the song, famously authored by John Marston himself, Shine Bright Like a Diamond. <laughs> yep, it's on the soundtrack and everything. A you can man listen to it. before his time. <laughs> but no, yeah, I love Dutch oh, Vandalin, and I think, and it was it was a hard one, because I was kind of like, man, does a villain fit in my top characters? But I think they absolutely can. Uh, and so it was it was a hard choice. because I think I always get, uh, uh, John Marston and Dutch Vandalin are like in my head the same. Oh, no, that's fine. Uh, they're all just grizzled, grizzled dudes. In well, the I thought you were just implying. I mean, John Marston was in the gang, so I thought you were just saying that like, he wrote the song and, and like to be like, oh, this is my well, ode to too. Dutch, you know. <laughs> but, but, uh, but no, it was it was a hard one. I think once we read through the li- go through our full list, we can like say any of our uh, honorable mentions because I had quite a few, and 
trying to decide which one hit this number three, like I said, was really hard. So yeah, we'll who were get... some of your honorables? Oh, you want to go and hear it? Uh, no, I don't want to do it yet. Because then that might. Okay. okay. I don't want to do that yet. We'll oh, do that after I leave my number one because it might okay, spoil gotcha. some other ones. Um, right. But so who was your number three favorite character? So my number three is a controversial choice because Ooh. some people hate him. Some people love him. Mm. And some people are very neutral about him. And he's also not a main character. Uh, so I actually wanted to talk about a part of this is because we kind of touched on this game in the last episode. And it was one of my honorable mentions but didn't quite make the cut because it actually is really popular and well publicized. Mm -hmm. It's the outsider from the Dishonored series. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So this decision may have been informed by a couple of recent things. So first of all, I love this. I love the Dishonored series. It's one of my favorite games, but I didn't feel like choosing Corvo or even uh, Emily Caldwin as, you know, characters that I think made a big impact or that are just really interesting. I didn't really think that either of them applied because in both of their games, you know, when you play as the protagonist and you have all of these different options to choose from, what you, the player, choose is clearly affecting the character that you're playing. So in those cases, I feel like it's maybe less a case of a really well-designed character and more a case of like, oh, well, you're designing the character. It's whoever you want them to be. And it's like, I, I still think that they're really well written because neither Corvo nor Emily are entirely silent protagonists. They do talk and interact with their surroundings. But I just didn't feel like I had a, I had a strong case for them, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas the outsider, this, uh, you wouldn't even call him the deuteragonist. If anything, he's almost an antagonist. <laughs> he's a an integral part of the Dishonored games because he's the catalyst for everything that happens in a sense. So actually in in more than a couple of senses, really. So the outsider is kind of a complicated character. Um, You have or have not played Dishonored. I have. I think I made it like halfway through. So I know, so I know who the character is and how he intertwines with, with Corvo. Yeah. We, I will be talking about both Dishonored 1, 2, and a little bit about Death of the Outsider, the kind of side game that they did um, most recently. So there are going to be a lot of spoilers in here. So if you haven't played Dishonored and you're really invested in the Outsider, maybe tune out. Uh, but so the, the Outsider is basically this mystical kind of non-person, you're not really sure what he is, who comes from just this this void and he just sort of materializes from the void and comes to whomever he wishes to bestow upon them void like evil powers Mm -hmm. so the outsider is the one who's out here in dunwall in the world of disorder just granting random people these wild telepathic telekinetic powers willy-nilly and some people have compared him to kind of a trickster god because of his morally ambiguous ways you know he's not really doing it for good or for evil he just seems to be doing it because he wants to and maybe even because he's bored uh you're not really sure but so when he comes to any given person it's just kind of like he rolls up on you and he's like so see you're having some troubles well, boyfriend, have I got good news for you. And then he like gives you a sales pitch and he's like, I've got this new product. It's called Evil Powers from the Void. Do you accept? Uh, and at least Dishonored 2. And I 
think in the first game, you would have to correct me on this if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure that you can choose to reject accepting the outsider's mark, which is how he gives you his powers. So when he, and you can definitely do it in the second game. Maybe you can't do it in the first game, but you can always choose to not use the powers as because much as you want to. Aren't you? I know you can choose to use them, but aren't you at the beginning of the first one? Like, aren't you almost killed and he like brings you back to life? Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but that's him just bringing you back to life. That's not him bestowing his mark upon you. Oh, okay. So I kind of thought that was like, I'm bringing you back to life, so you're going to use this. Oh, okay. Maybe that is what happens. So you might not game. get to choose okay. the first one. I'm not totally gotcha. sure either. So good, good catch. In the first game, you can't do it. In the second game, you definitely can do it because he's like, do you accept? And you can be like, yes or no. Which canonically makes no sense because if you chose the character, maybe it's only if you pick Emily. Did I would play know as Emily? I only, yeah, I picked Emily. So I assume that if you start the game as Corvo in Dishonored 2, maybe you already have the mark and you don't have the choice. But if you start as Emily, you do get to choose because the outsider rolls up and he's like, so about your dad? I mean, technically these powers aren't hereditary, but y'all just keep getting into shenanigans and I'm really here for the tea. I love all this nonsense that's happening. So you want these powers too? <laughs> you can be like, yes or no. And it's definitely not how he talks for starters. I'm <laughs> giving a very bad impression of him. So the outsider is this adult man that kind of has a fairly childlike face. It may just be appearing to be a little bit childlike because he has these massive, totally black, voided out eyes. Uh, and he has very fair skin and kind of just short um, black hair. He very much looks like he shops. He looks like he shops at Hot Topic. He wears all black, of course, because he lives in the void. Who wouldn't? Um, and he just sort of floats around whenever he visits you. He's very incorporeal. You always get the feeling that he's just sort of this intangible shadow person. And when you're talking to him, you always, he's a big fan of villain-esque exposition. He loves to just kind of talk at you. He loves to go on and on. Uh, and in the first game, he is voiced by Billy Lush. In the second game, he was replaced with Robin Lord Taylor. I don't know why uh, they chose to replace him with Robin Lord Taylor, but um, from what I could remember, both of the performances were really good. Um, at the very least, I remember the Billy Lush version very well. Uh, excuse me, very well. Um, Dishonored 2, I actually haven't finished. I'm still working on it, so I'll update you once I'm done with that one. Uh, and Billy Lush does an incredible job of giving the outsider just this character of, you know, again, almost childlike wonder in that he's just really curious to see what kind of mischief can he do? Mm -hmm. You know, how can bestowing his otherworldly powers upon mere mortals, how can that affect things? And he will just periodically show up throughout the game to kind of keep tabs on you. And it does sort of weave together this interesting painting of, of like who his character is, because you can only assume that he does this same the same thing with everyone that he gives his powers to. And some of the other characters that you encounter in the games, um, primarily antagonists, so this is definitely an antagonist, uh, the antagonist Dowd, who is really your like top mark or one of the top marks that you're trying to get to in Dishonored 1, uh, and e 
This one I feel like is more of a deuteragonist because you do eventually play as her in Death of the Outsider. Uh, Dowd's protege, Billy Lurk. Um, she is also given powers by the Outsider. So you've got Corvo, you've got Emily Caldwin, you've got uh, Dowd, and you've got Billy Lurk, all of whom are people of just wildly varying moral values themselves uh, that just kind of all have these powers. And it's interesting that they are all more or less in in most capacities, fighting each other. Like, Corvo is definitely trying to kill or at least neutralize Dowd. The same goes for Billy Lurk, actually. Um, and you can even play as Dowd versus Billy Lurk in some of the uh, DLC for the first game. You can technically kill her, which mm. makes her appearance in Death of the Outsider very confusing. <laughs> You're like, I don't think this is right. I'm pretty sure I killed you, that but whatever. That old canon doesn't count. We'll just sweep yeah. that under the rug. Canon doesn't count. They, they needed her to be alive for the rest of the games. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's just interesting because you think about wow what's motivating the outsider here what's his deal why is he why is he out here doing this and just really that mystery is a big part of why I like this character so much because he's very dramatic he's very theatrical uh, whenever you get to his temples um, because his temples are all over the world of dishonor they're all over Dunwall. And that does also bring to light the fact that normal people know about the outsider. People that don't have his powers still know about him. Mm -hmm. And you'll find these like cryptic scrawlings on walls, like the the language of madmen that are like the outsider, his eyes, the black eyes of the void. And you're just like, I think they've known about the outsider for a while. And there are these little talismans that you can find all over the place that people are clearly making in attempts to either, you know, appease the void or appease the outsider or to gain his powers by extension. So he's very much an integral part of this Dunwall society, which I think is so interesting because usually when you have games, it's like, oh, you get these magical powers from this mystical source. Other people typically don't know what the source is. Yeah. The NPCs usually aren't out there being like, wow, got those powers from the outsider, did you? But in this game, they're like, we know what you did. We know where you got those powers from, you evil, evil person. So he's very much uh, perceived as this evil being. And then when you meet him, he's kind of not. He's just kind of this weird guy who's just kind of out here to have a fun cool time yeah he just wants you to blow stuff up with your magical powers and watch the gore splatter the walls and he's like yeah this is this is as fun for me as it is for you we're all having a good time here <laughs> uh, and whenever you get to his temples and um collect one of his uh bigger talismans runes they're called runes in the game and collect one of his larger runes those are periods in the game where he'll like physically appear to you again and he goes into his like villain exposition where he'll be like ah i see that you've done xyz thing and what's fun about it is he'll comment on things that you've done in the game so the decisions that you've made and kind of the path that you're going down whether you're being you're being really really evil very chaotic or much more ordered and a little bit more aligned with good air quotes mm -hmm. he'll make commentary about all of that and he's like okay i see what you're doing here i'm curious to see what you'll do next so he kind of serves as a pseudo narrator in a lot of cases to kind of keep you caught up with what you're doing yourself He's great for catching you up if you've taken a break from the game and mm. then you're coming back and you're like, oh, shit, I don't remember what I did here. Last don't time worry. on Dishonored 2. Last time on Dishonored 2, the outsider will show up and he'll be like, let me catch you up, girl. You've been killing a lot of people and I've been keeping tabs. So he's just this fascinating, mysterious character that 
and here's where things get into big spoiler territory, I feel like was almost hurt by kind of his backstory. Mm. So as it turns out in Death of the Outsider, the Outsider does actually have a fairly concrete and mortal origin. So again, this is big spoilers. Uh, So as it turns out, the void is truly where the Outsider manifests from. So the character of the Outsider is much less, you know, the void and just a piece of it. He's just a manifestation of the void. The void itself was harnessed by, as it turns out, a cult. Oh. And some people kind of decried this as like, that's lame. I love cults. You know I love cults. I'm all about that cult life. So anytime a creepy cult shows up in a game, I'm like, yes, this is awesome. So it turns out a cult actually sacrificed uh, some person. I don't remember his name. They sacrificed some mortal person to turn that person into the outsider. Mm. And the outsider, you know, or whoever his mortal counterpart is, wasn't super pleased about that. So in Death of the Outsider, you get all this background on how this poor person was sacrificed with like a ceremonial knife. And he is technically still alive. Sort of, because you can infiltrate this cult in Death of the Outsider, and you can find the Outsider's mortal body, just kind of still encased in like this stone pod. He's just kind of chilling there, and the cult is keeping him alive to make sure that the Outsider sticks around, because they want to also use these void powers. Oh, interesting. So it's it's just an interesting like tie together of like, well... You also have this mor- this moral choice of are you going to kill the outsider's mortal body to get rid of him entirely or and I thought this was just a super cool thing to kind of tie into the game as it turns out the mark of the outsider that mysterious mark that you get on your hand mm-hmm. that's his human name oh. so if you restore his own mark to the outsider's mortal body, he basically regains his name and regains his mortality. He becomes human again. Oh, interesting. So basically you have the choice to kill the outsider, which is this void character, or restore the outsider's mortal name to his body, thereby saving him in a sense. So again, it's just this interesting two paths in a forest which do you choose to take? Right, right. Uh, and I just I just love how they kind of fleshed out the outsider and I love the mystery about his personality like it kind of brings to light was he like this as a regular person jokes <laughs> was he just always <laughs> was he just always a trickster was he this dramatic as a human being so i just love asking myself those questions and for me it makes characters more fun mm-hmm. so that's why i think the outsider is my number three pick very nice very nice i was not expecting that one honestly gotta say so that was a that was a good pick good pick uh, so my number two is bayek of siwa from Assassin's Creed Origins. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I yeah. know that you really love this character, and he has a super badass wife, so I can be on board with this. Oh, yeah. So uh, Bayek was was uh, portrayed by Abu Bakar Salim, and so what? who Bayek is, is he's a Meje in ancient Egypt, which, for one, I think another reason why this character is so cool is just because ancient Egypt is also another one that like is another one of those areas that hasn't been explored a ton, in video games in gaming so, not in, in gaming, real life in, game, in real life it's been explored a lot but a lot <laughs> and, but uh, still for be, going and getting to walk around and especially with the this the depth that they 
fleshed out the world and in Assassin's Creed Origins just made getting to go through ancient Egypt just such a treat. But so it was wonderful, though, to get to do it as Bayek, because I feel like Bayek was one of the more emotionally ranged characters to come from the Assassin's Creed series in a long time. Like, I would probably say he's my favorite character since Ezio from Assassin's Creed 2. And just because I feel like they gave him more of a more of this internal struggle, like, say, for example, like I love Cassandra right now as I'm playing through Assassin's Creed Odyssey still. But and while she is a fantastic character, her because Odyssey lets you play around with your own choice a little bit more. I feel like her, you know, her personality, therefore, to kind of becomes that of the of the player a little bit. Yeah. Bayek was a little more his own person in the, in the sense that they had this arc he needed to go on, you know, at the very beginning of the game, spoilers for this game is like his son Kimu is killed by this order. That is the early branches of what would eventually become the Templar order that the assassins and the Templars are fighting against forever. Exactly. Bringing it back, (laughs) bringing it back again. Uh, But so he's killed in this scuffle with them because Bayek finds that they're trying to get into this vault deep under the city of Siwa that whereas he is kind of his, the protectorate that he, the, the area that he protects. And so his son is killed there. And so that obviously very deeply wounds him in his person and gives him something that he's like, okay, well, I've got to figure out what the secrets of this order are. Cause I have to avenge my son. And, but also at the same time, there's this political conflict going on because this is during the Ptolemaic era. So this is when like Rome is really starting to heavily influence Egypt and Cleopatra, like you meet Cleopatra later in the game. And so there's this political struggle of who do you support? Do we, you know, are we supporting this, like this, uh, these Roman, Romans who are starting to come in and even Greek influences that are starting to come in, or do we stay true to, to Egypt and everything? And so it creates this whole struggle where Bayek has to weigh this allegiance to Egypt, but also this quest for revenge to, for his son. And while his wife, Aya, who you mentioned, incredibly badass character as well, uh, and it, it was so fun to get to play as her later in the game, but she isn't, and that, that kind of forms this third conflict because while she is like, yeah, like it was terrible, like what happened to our son and not trying to like say that that didn't affect her deeply as well. But she is feeling this more stronger pull and tie towards uh, making sure Egypt is set up correct. It is like is handled and is set up with the correct leader. And so that kind of at times in the game puts them at odds with each other. And so it's this very I just felt like all those conflicts created an incredibly dynamic character where Bayek is struggling with the principles that he hold that makes him who he is. Like he swore his allegiance and and life to the to protecting of Egypt, but then once he sees this new force coming in who seems to undermine both his family and his country, he feels like this is where I need to be focused on and this is the greater good and this will solve for the greater good. Uh, getting rid of this this secretive order that's starting to that he can now see is playing its hands not only in Egyptian politics but also in Roman and Greek politics as well. And so he like sees this as this root issue that this is where I need to be focused. This is what determines my focus. Like Aya comes up and is like, hey, yeah, I get that, but also like we got to make sure our girl Cleopatra gets on the throne because she's going to be the best for Egypt. And he's like, I'm not too sure about that. And so just seeing all these different conflicts and seeing his internal struggle through all of those throughout the entire game and seeing that like he does not kill indiscriminately he kills you know when it's he tracks down these people who are in charge of the order and everything like that he is very and that's where i think is the distraction the distinction i think a little bit between um 
Cassandra and Bike, like where their two characters are different, where because of there is player choice, you can just take these jobs in, in Odyssey that are like, this dude wronged me. Mind offing him really quick, so, and I'll give you some drop me, you know, kind of thing. And the, whereas Bayek, I wouldn't do that. Like you have that very clear thing. He he kills who need to be in, in these areas, and like to to a either exact the the vengeance on his son to help people. Like because you also do a lot of like you'll clear out bandit camps and stuff like that because those people that's who he is sworn to protect the people of Egypt as a medjay. And so getting all of these all these different fronts where he is constantly throughout the game balancing what is right and what aligns with his sense of duty and what he feels like is best for for his country and the people and the people he has sworn to protect i think just created such a dynamic character and was an incre- and also incredibly well done and so that i think for the, all of those reasons i think is eventually and like you know at the end of the game like it all comes to a head like i believe he and aya even separate near at the end of it because you know she's while they both learn that they were even being played because it it does come out later in the game that even cleopatra is under the influence of the order as well it's like they see that their goals were ultimately aligned but then you know they didn't work together the best but then they ultimately do realize like hey for us to really do this how we need to to face both this threat of the order and continue to protect egypt like we can't be together all the time anymore and so like they even like separate and go into different areas to to take it all you know to be able to do their best work. And so I just think greater good, the greater good. Exactly. And so it just was really well done. I feel like the, the moral complexities that Bayek often found himself in for games. While I love the Assassin's Creed series, sometimes I do feel like it's cut and dry. Sometimes the characters motivations of how there's this bad Templar order. We got to go get rid of those people. But I feel like they gave and which is the same with Ezio, like Ezio's family in Assassin's Creed 2, they were all executed by by the Templar Order. And so they both kind of share this the same drive or origin in a way. <laughs> Assassin's Creed origin. <laughs> and so, but but still, I just love that those gave it seems like Bayek was way more fleshed out of a character that Assassin's Creed had seen for a while. And so I feel like it was just a very well done, complete package, both in how his character and his drive married into so well into the story of Assassin's Creed Origins. And it was just a absolute treat of a, of a time getting to play as Bayek. So that's why he's my number two. So I really, hmm, I'm trying so, to think. So now like, you're thinking, you're I, trying to think who my number one is, aren't you? Yeah. I'm trying to guess what your number one is. Cause I'm like, Ooh, I've, I don't know who I think it's going to be. Is it going to be Ori from Ori and the Blind Forest? I thought <laughs> about Ori, but it's not. Almost no personality. <laughs> I thought about maybe uh, trying to pull somebody from Ori, but I was just like, nah, nah, there's just not. While I, I love the story of Ori and the Blind Forest and stuff like that, it just wasn't, it's just not enough there to like, you know, pull me where I feel like, oh no, Ori's the best character of all time. Yeah. So yeah. I, I was also like, is there any way that I can shoehorn in a character from Hollow Knight? Because I desperately want to. <laughs> <laughs> Once the know. Nintendo Switch is on its way out, we'll circle back around and you can do it then. Yeah. So if anybody doesn't know, that's what we're not talking about, like games that are specifically for the Switch right now, because the Switch predates the PS5 right. and the Xbox series, whatever, bejesus. Uh, so they're just a little not aligned, but eventually we'll probably go back and do something similar oh, yeah, for, for the sure. Switch. Um, But for now, I want to talk about kind of an older game at this point, but that I still think about on the regular. Uh, And again, this is a game that I kind of wanted to put in the last episode, but I just it just didn't quite make the cut. 
But this character is one of the biggest reasons that I love this game so much, and it is Delilah from Firewatch. Mm, nice, you know nice, you nice, had nice, to nice. See Firewatch make a comeback at some point. Yep. Uh, and again, this is technically a game that falls into the air quotes walking simulator category, which I still think is not entirely correct. I think it's more like a mosey adventure game. I think that's a little bit more accurate. Uh, but so the set for Firewatch, for anybody that is unfamiliar, um, this game came out, what, four years ago? I want to say four I'm years ago. I'm honestly not sure. I think so. Because uh, we talked about it on the show when it was still a fairly new game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it was either four or five years ago. Uh, but so I played it on PS4. Uh, and the game features you playing as main character Henry. So Henry has a couple of choices that he can make about his given backstory, but the backstory is still very much there. So Henry's setup is that he is a a middle-aged man, and the game takes place in 1989, for anybody that's wondering. So it doesn't really matter. It just sets the scene a little bit more. Uh, So Henry's deal is that he married someone that was the love of his life. They are just absolute soulmates. So couldn't be more in love, blah, blah, blah. But unfortunately, his wife uh, develops early onset dementia. Mm. And it is just heartbreaking to kind of read through the story at the beginning of the game as you're more or less setting up your character of Henry. Uh, So you gather that Henry is off in the middle of nowhere in... I can't recall if the game is actually set in Montana or just like a... A state park. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the state is, but they're in a state park that looks like it could be, you know, Montana, Idaho, maybe even Yosemite. I'm not really sure where they're at, but you get that that kind of vibe. So Henry is basically going to be a firewatch. He's going to go out to the state park and he's going to have this temporary job of living in a firewatch tower and basically just monitoring the park for any wildfires that pop up. So that is the job of both himself and all of the other fire watches scattered around the state park. So he's in his own tower. And then when he gets on the job his first day, you meet Delilah, air quotes there if you're just listening to the audio. He meets Delilah because she is technically his supervisor, but you meet her through her voice, through your walkie-talkie. So she's on your radio. She's basically your lifeline at the other end of a radio, because here you are out in the middle of nowhere. This very much was, uh, you know, it being 1989, this was pre the internet, not the internet as pre the internet as a staple of society. That's the way to phrase it. So it was before the internet and before cell phones were, you know, just staples of society. And even now it's really hard to get reception in a lot of state parks, I would know, thanks T-Mobile. So (laughs) even then you still probably need some walkie-talkies. So Henry's basically out in this tower in the middle of the forest to more or less escape his life. Um, He's obviously struggling ferociously with dealing with his wife's dementia and he has more or less abandoned her um so his wife is currently being cared for by her own parents and he's just kind of running away from his problems so i'm not saying that henry is a bad a bad man or a bad person if anything i think that this gives such a humanist look at what people are truly like Mm -hmm. Uh, humans are very complex characters and the same goes for delilah and I think that this is also partially because of my love of mystery. I love not knowing everything about a character. So as Henry, you really never come to truly know Delilah. 
And I think that that's a really valuable part of this game because the crux of Firewatch is it's not even it's not the gameplay. You know, you're not necessarily playing Firewatch for the gameplay itself. You're playing it for the story. Mm-hmm. And the characters that are in that story are what makes it shine. They're what they're what makes it special. And Delilah being this mysterious, sultry voice at the other end of a line that you'd never see, you never physically meet Delilah. Uh, I think that that makes her so much more fascinating as a person. So the game starts up, and this is going to be have a lot of spoilers for Firewatch. So again, tread at your own at your own cost. Uh, Delilah greets you on your walkie-talkie, and she seems like very vivacious, very peppy, and you're like, oh, okay, I guess this is my state park supervisor. Uh, and then a few conversations later, you're talking to Delilah again, and it's the next day, and you come to learn that Delilah freely admits that when she greeted you on your walkie-talkie the previous day, she was actually drunk at the time. So it's like, <laughs> oh no, you're my supervisor. We're out here supposed to be watching for fires, and, and you were drunk when you greeted me? So that's kind of the first piece of this humanist approach to what do people do when they're in the middle of nowhere with basically nothing to entertain themselves aside from, you know, books and patrolling the park. So it kind of brings to light all of these questions of what kind of person would take this job? Mm -hmm. Because you know that in Henry's case, he's doing it to escape his problems. So what's Delilah escaping? And it just, you know, makes it seem like, ooh, why would she be out here? And why is she out here for so long? Mm-hmm. Because as you come to know Delilah a little bit better and you become really friends with her uh, through your walkie-talkie link, you learn that she's been in the Forest Service and she's held this job of Firewatch for 13 years. Oh, wow. So she's been out there for a hell of a long time. And it's just so interesting because based on your voice interactions with her, she seems like a fairly gregarious person. Mm -hmm. She seems like if you were to meet her on the street, she would come across as a social butterfly because she seems to start conversations very easily. She's never really, you know, at a loss for words. Of course, she can't be in the context of the game. She kind of can't be. She she needs to be able to talk to you at all times. But she just has such an interesting character of almost being flirtatious. Um, some of the things that she can say to Henry come, a lot, come across as a little flirtatious, which again adds more to her character because at some point she does learn that Henry technically has a wife, even though they are by this point very estranged and mm-hmm. they have a very complicated relationship. She knows about that. Uh, and it's it doesn't seem to impede you know, her conversations with Henry. That doesn't seem to really hold her back at all. And Again, it's just great character building because this never really tarnishes her, at least in my opinion. It just builds on the complexity of human nature. And when you're out in the wilderness with so few other human connections, even if you know that somebody else already has a significant other, would that really stop you from trying to build a deep connection with that person yeah. when no one else is around and there's no one there to judge you? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and through the course of the game, you do learn that uh, Delilah has a couple of other things in her past that are a little bit iffy. And it's like, ooh, should I really be this attached to you? Are you kind of the right person for me to be engaging with? And the game never really says a hard yes or no. It's always just portrayed as 
these are people. These are what people are like. This is what people talk about. This is how human relationships happen. And you're just kind of along for the ride. So in terms of writing, I think her character is incredibly well written. And a big part of why I'm so attached to Delilah is that her voice actress, Sissy Jones, does just an incredible job. Mm -hmm. I think at the time that Firewatch came out, uh, I would have to double check. I'm pretty sure that Sissy Jones at least got nominated that sounds very for a familiar. Best Actress Award, or she may have won it. Uh, I can't quite recall if she won, but she definitely deserved to win if she didn't. Uh, so Sissy Jones does just an, an amazing job of portraying Delilah as this really complex woman. And especially in video games, you know, I feel like women are frequently fairly one-dimensional, unfortunately. It's gotten so much better. Mm -hmm. Obviously, in modern mm -hmm. times, it's much better now. But it's still kind of difficult to get characters in general. Like you mentioned with Bayek, uh, a lot of the characters in Assassin's Creed, kind of one-dimensional. Those motivations are a little flat sometimes. So even in the case of just main characters in general, it can be really hard to properly flesh them out and give them really interesting characters and backstories. Right. And in the case of Firewatch, I feel like Delilah has just enough given to the player and just enough held back to give you a sense for who she is, but to still feel like, I don't know you. I think I know you, but I really don't. Mm -hmm. And I love that mystery, and I love that that's how, that's how relationships are in most cases of life. Do I know you, Jarrett? I don't know. Do I truly? We haven't spent a lot of time watching fires, so yeah, we can we truly we'll know the, the lengths of our relationship? We'll, ne we'll never know until we're out in the forest together. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just give up our lives and our jobs and let's go live in God knows where and watch fires. Uh, so Delilah can be pushy. She can be fun. She can be engaging. She can be withholding. And I feel like she is just an incredible portrayal of a normal human person, which many video games do not achieve. Yeah. Sometimes that's on purpose. Sometimes it's not. So as far as, you know, just genuine character creation goes, I feel like Delilah is excellently put together. 10 out of 10. Would Delilah again. Nice. Nice. Very cool. I was not expect. I hadn't thought of, I was going through my mind trying to think of like what your possibilities could be for this and Firewatch was not among them. So that's a pretty, I, pretty I went, fun one. I went wide. I went broad and wide for my selections. Also because I just talked about Tomb Raider so I couldn't talk about Lara Croft again <laughs> even though I really wanted to. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well then for my number one character, do you have any guesses what this could be? I really don't. Because um, I think point, at this point, you're, it's probably obvious we don't line up without our Anywhere? I, mean, I could I could guess a game series. Is it going to be someone from Far Cry? That's kind of my go-to. Nope. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, ugh, ugh. That cool nun from the Star Wars game that beats your ass. Oh, uh, Night Sister Marin? No. Yeah. Uh, not her. <laughs> I thought about I thought about her though. I actually didn't have anybody from a Star Wars game this this generation in in my it, list. I'm assuming it's a game that I at least know that you've played. Oh yeah. Oh god. It's not Doom Guy. He has no personality. No, zero personality. Um, <laughs> other than just rage. Other than rage, yeah, of course. <laughs> Dang, is it a game we've both played? No. If it's Daniel, okay, thank God. Say, <laughs> Life is Strange 2. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not, it's not uh, them. Yeah, I, give up. I don't think I know it. My favorite character from this last generation is 
Abby Anderson from The Last of Us Part Two. Abby Anderson, the the, the, the main, oh, the main. I'm sorry, just you don't hear her usually without the, with her last name. It, no, so I was so confused because in my head, life is strange, and Last of Us, we're just crossing wires. Sam for a does that second. too. Often and I was like, when we talk I don't remember games. an Abby in Life is Strange too. And then it just sank in that you yeah. that you said the Last of Us. Abby Anderson, interesting choice. The last of Us Part Two. Very nice. I can't believe I didn't even guess a Last of Us game. <laughs> I suck. Well, I mean, technically, this is the Last of Us Part Two is the only <laughs> one of the generation. So, oh yeah, because I guess the, the first other game came out, came out on PS3. PS3. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I forgot mm-hmm. about that. My generations are very crossed at this point. <laughs> well, I mean, they keep doing the remasters and bringing stuff back. I mean, they brought yeah. Last of Us 1 and they remastered it for, for the PS4. So, I mean, that's understandable. But uh, so yeah. Abby was per- was portrayed by Laura Bailey. And for me, I guess the common thread with all of these characters and why I like them so much is just they have to have a good arc, you know, for me. And usually and apparently with these with these three also. They have to go on a very emotional journey for me to really be like, ah, I like this because Abby does that. And I, what I think, and I know this is a very recent game, so I'm going to try to be fairly vague. I'm going to have to say some spoiler stuff. Just heads up, everybody. But um, I think why I love Abby so much is that the contrast of how she's presented in the early game to how when you get to play as her in the mid late game how she's presented there and you get to learn more about her motivations, more about her drives. I think it's just, again, how real well, I think that lends to how well she was written in the game, but you hate her when you first see her, you absolutely hate her. And then by the end of the game, I loved her more than Ellie and which (laughs) the game is always told like you're seeing Ellie's journey. This is, you know, this, the continuation of Ellie's story. So you're expecting, and I love Ellie too, not saying I don't like another very complex character, but Abby, I think this is really hard to do without saying a lot of spoilers. So, you know, just you're, you're forewarned things might slip, but, (laughs) but you know, the very beginning of the game, you hate her. And then as you get to progress with her, and I think as they fleshed her out so well, because you learn her motivations you learn why she did what she did and because, and it's not just the new run of the mill enemy who we're going to encounter this game and you're going to defeat, but they tied her so well back to the original game in a way that was not immediately apparent, but once it became clear, I was just like, Oh man, that makes so much sense. And such a great pull to have this character now be the antagonist for part two. And, but then could you later argue protagonist? Maybe not all that bad, you know, kind of thing. The thing is, she does something terrible at the beginning of the game and makes a terrible decision in the sense that, okay, she, this is so hard trying to dance around. She murders Joel. Okay, everybody. Like, it's just there. <laughs> like, if, it, just- I'm, I'm sorry. It's hard to say. It's hard to talk about her as a character without mentioning these specifics of the game. But, and that again ties back to the, to the theme kind of Last of Us Part Two is breaking these cycles of violence and that how violence beget violence begets violence begets violence. If that's the con- the continual response to violence. And so Joel in part one, you find out murders her father, who is the, the surgeon who's going to operate on Ellie to eventually make the cure for this virus that's going throughout the world. Joel murders her because he was just lo- him. Sorry, uh, because he was looking out and trying to protect Ellie which is like the last thing that he had in the world that he cared about. And so that then spurs Abby to dedicate her life to hunting down Joel. She does that 
in the beginning of this uh, part two, which then leads Ellie to chase her down, which causes her Abby to then lose all, all of her friends. But, and then, so she takes that and she learns from it. Whereas, you know, we talked about in our review of part two, Ellie doesn't learn. She gets, she sees red and that's all she sees. And she yeah. can't, you know, and she just trugs forward. Abby recognizes through the events of the game that what she did was wrong and that the only way to stop it from happening again and for somebody else to keep coming to hunt her down or she has to be the one to say no eventually at one point. And that, you know, and that does come to a head in the game and it both in kind of like the mid part and in the very, the, the finale. And I just think seeing that character growth plus again, going back to what I said of you hate her because of what she does to Joel you then see her interactions with the other, with her group before, because you know, like the part, part two, you see Ellie's story play through the events and then you go back and replay through some of the events again as Abby. And so you really get this closer dive into her where that's where it kind of is like, Oh no, she's not like this hardened person set out with one goal to kill everyone that you know and love. She was seeking revenge on her on one specific on one person. specific person and got that goal and was fine being and not necessarily saying her actions are justified but still she got that revenge and then she was fine to let it to just be like she even lets ellie live if she and, and joel's brother because that's not who she was looking for but then abby roll ellie rolls into town and just starts wiping everybody out so she feels like there has to be a response to that as well but you get so much more of her character in her interactions with especially her uh, her ex-boyfriend owen and then just her other friend group but then where i think her character really shines is when she meets lev and yara and takes them under her wing and under her protection she could have left them to to be killed by their own people the seraphites or the scars as they're called she could have left them to fend for themselves but no, even though they are of this group that she that her group is fighting against constantly in Seattle, she takes them in. She brings them under her wing and protects them, even though she knows that that's going to put her neck out and possibly get her killed for her actions from her own group and its leader, Isaac. So presented with these tough moral decisions, she seems, with the exception of the very first one she makes, she seems to always be like, no, this is what's right. This is what I need to do. Again, a very strong moral compass inside her. And I think, especially in a world gone to shit as bad as it has in the Last of Us part, uh, in the Last of Us world, like that's necessary to have those kinds of people and to like really help keep the world on the right track. And I just feel like her journey of seeing, of being consumed, utterly consumed with this need for revenge, getting that revenge, having the consequences of that come onto her but then also at the time seeing through what needs to be done and what needs to be right to correct this situation and being brave enough to take those steps is very impactful and very powerful. And yeah. so I think having all that and then again, I've said it, you know, like how well written the game was and just how well that was tied into Ellie's journey and Ellie's story and contrasted to Ellie's story. Because again, like I said, like Ellie just sees red and that's all she sees through this game until like the very last possible second in the finale. And so just because that you just connect very well with, with Abby, you grow in my case, at least go from absolutely despising to loving and hoping 
and praying that like she is not killed or, or something like that throughout the whole game and that the you know and that she is able to find a happy ending i mean you hope that for both of the characters but still as by the end of it i was really hoping for it for her i was just like oh no yeah. please don't introduce this wonderful character to to us and then have her taken away at the end like please 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 and so it was just how well you connected with her and root for her when you're expecting from the beginning of the game to absolutely despise her, I think sets her apart from all the characters uh, that from this previous gener- from this generation, and that's why she sits as my number one. I gotta give yeah. it, I gotta give it to Abby. So excellent choice, and I can't believe I didn't think of that. I think it's just because the game is still so new in my mind yeah. that I just wouldn't. It just didn't populate. Which it did is not kind of, compute. Which I was kind of then balancing. Am I like, am I, am I, is she my number one because she is so recent? But I just think. <sighs> I just think think still it's it's just she connected so strongly with me. Yeah. And from what you've told me, you know, I haven't played The Last of Us 2. Sorry. Uh, But from what I've heard from you and from other people, uh, it does sound like she's just got such a depth of character, Mm -hmm. that deep character building that I think would naturally set her apart from many other characters. Oh, yeah. And I do like that in the context of a game like The Last of Us where you know, you've got murder machines, Joel and Ellie, who just, sure, it's part of the gameplay, but they are just indiscriminate mass yeah. murderers in a lot of senses. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's it's really interesting to finally have a character that's like, maybe, maybe the murdering is the bad thing to do. Are we the baddies? Yeah. It's are, de- are we? Am I the bad guy? Am I the asshole Reddit? Exactly. <laughs> Can you imagine a Reddit post from Abby? Am I the asshole? All this so stuff I killed happened. this girl's pseudo father. Am I the asshole? Be, be, uh, everybody sucks here ruling, probably. <laughs> it, would be. it would be a you are all terrible and one of you has to be the bigger person here. And at least Abby is that bigger person. Exactly. I, 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 I like her by proxy because of you. Yep. So that's why she sits as my number one. Who are you going to so, top? Who's your I number one pick? I think you can definitely guess it. I'll I think you, I can. I'll give you one guess. Oh, okay. Uh, Chloe Price, Life is Strange. So close. Damn it's it. actually Max. Oh, really? I picked Max. Yes. So you were definitely on the right track. See, I thought you were going to pick Chloe. She's so in my like, She's in my honorable mentions. Yeah. I was, I was like, I, I feel like he's definitely going to pick Chloe. And even though I do like Chloe, I always adore adored max so max caulfield from life is strange and you could technically argue that it may or may not count because life is strange did actually come out for the ps3 and for xbox 360 but it came out in 2015 so the ps4 Uh, was already out so it was really just that they like made it backwards compatible yeah so uh life is strange first started coming out in 2015 of course at the time it was the episodic releases Thank God I missed that. Got the game in one go once it was officially all out. Um, And I'll never do it differently ever again, as we've talked about. But um, Life is Strange is one of the most interesting games I've ever played, period. And I love every single character in it. Oh, except for your lame guy friend. What's his name? Oh, uh, Warren? Warren, yes. Normal high school boy Warren. He's the only one that I'm kind of like iffy on. Uh, other than that, Max, Chloe, Jefferson, Nathan, that mm-hmm. like re- that really shitty kid in your school, yep, yep, uh, yep. Victoria, really all of the characters in that game, I thought were really well designed. Uh, and this kind of usurps what I said before about the outsider and why I didn't pick 
Corvo or Emily. Um, what is her last name? Caldwin. Caldwin. Yes, I'm getting Caulfield and Caldwin very confused. Uh, oh yeah, so they I are very similar. I didn't connect them. that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't pick either of them. I said because you do have so much character choice with them. Technically, the same is true of Max. Mm -hmm. So obviously, Life is Strange is a game that is entirely about making decisions. That's the whole point. So it's about making decisions. And then once you've made that choice, do you choose to undo it? Do you choose to go back in time and do something differently? Or do you stick to your guns and go forward with the decisions that you've made? So in that sense... I'm not really including Max in that same category of the protagonist who is shaped by your decisions, because I don't feel that that's true. Yeah. I feel that you are playing as Max whose decisions shape the world, not Max as the person. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's an important distinction because as you're shaping the world around you, you get to see so much more of Max's character growth and kind of who she's in the process of becoming. Because unlike many of the other characters we've talked about, Max is young. She's a modern day teenager. So she's 18 at the time of the game taking place, and she's in her senior year of high school. So she's an aspiring, she's an aspiring photographer who goes to this fancy dancy art school. So her and all of her friends are like these, you know, we're artists you wouldn't understand. And mm -hmm. it's very much the environment that they live in. A lot of in. angst. Yeah. A lot of angst. But in Max's case, that angst is a little bit less than you get the feeling most of the other people she interacts with are. Uh, you know, in the case of Chloe, she comes from a broken home. You know, she's lost a parent in the past. Her character development is just fraught with dealing with step parents, dealing with loss. So she's a very broken character kind of when you first meet her. Whereas Max seems to be much more put together. Uh, she and Chloe were very good friends with it when they were young, and then Max and her family moved away, and that clearly created a lot of emotional rift in both of them. But Max seems to have weathered that storm much better than Chloe did. And I'm sure that that has to do with the fact that Max's parents are still together, they are both still alive, she clearly comes from just a more stable home background in general. Mm -hmm. You even get texts and stuff from your parents throughout the game, and you get the feeling that they have a good relationship. So as far as, you know, it's kind of a case of rich kid, poor kid, because Chloe is in this fancy uh, art school, I think on a scholarship, and I'm pretty sure she's in danger of losing it if she doesn't get her act together. Whereas Max, I don't think that's the case. I think she's there because... She probably comes from a somewhat more privileged background. Or is, is Chloe even in the school? She technically she or was. she dropped out. She dropped out. Yes, That's, you're right. Okay. She dropped out. Uh, I just thought of that because she's physically present in the school right. when you start the game. Uh, but yeah, you're right. She dropped out. So you know, Chloe's even a high school dropout. So they just have this gigantic rift between them in terms of where they're each at in life, and that kind of makes it seem like oh, Chloe's this this bad girl. She's, you know, on, on the wrong side of the tracks. And it makes it seem, in comparison, like Max is this very, you know, shiny Oxford shoes, you know, perfect little girl, has, like, the perfect life. And that's kind of not true in a lot of ways. Not that she doesn't have a very good life, but I feel like it's so interesting to see her character development because she gets this insane power out of nowhere to manipulate time. Yeah. And you don't know why. 
It's never explained where it comes from. Life just do be strange sometimes. It really does. Sometimes it really do. Uh, so she's just got this mysterious power to reverse time. And it brings up all of these questions of what if you were just a normal high school kid that got the power to hecking reverse time? What would that do to you? And I feel like it's so interesting to see Max kind of come into this incredible power you know this world breaking power as a teenager what do you do how do you deal with that how do you use it Mm -hmm. and this really you know max's character development is so interesting to me because she goes from being pretty shy you know she comes across as kind of shyer more introverted definitely not super assertive she's not very assertive she's not very aggressive but through the course of the game, she slowly gains more of those traits to the extent where she's actively trying to use her power to defy reality, to defy what the world wants, which is, big spoiler for Life is Strange, the world wants to kill Chloe. Yeah. It wants her dead. That is how the course of events is supposed to take place. And because Max broke that, Because Max intentionally broke that chain of events, the world is spiraling into chaos. And you're having to deal with that, deal with the consequences of your own actions as Max. And you either have to emotionally come to terms with those and accept the things you've done, or you have to completely undo them. You have to completely undo everything that you've done over the course of these events and deal with the emotional fallout of that. Mm -hmm. If you let Chloe die, what does that do to you as a person? If you let her live, what does the blood of the entire rest of your town on your hands, what does that do to you? Yeah. So I feel like her character development is just fascinating because you would never look at Max and go, I bet that if she were kidnapped by a psychopathic murderer, I bet that she would just die. And it's like, no, no, not Max Caulfield. She's going to live. She's not that character in the horror game. She's going to get her shit together, spit in the face of her kidnapper, and she will make it out of there alive. I I just loved her character development. I loved seeing her become kind of a badass. Mm -hmm. Because again, in the beginning, she's very much not. She's kind of this shying, retiring wallflower. And at the end of the game, she's like, I'm going to make the world do what I want it to. And it's like, hell yeah, Max, you get yours. Who cares if the world falls apart at the seams because of it? I I just really like her character arc. I think that it is so well done. And I don't feel like the choices you make in the game negatively affect or detract from her character and that's why i feel like she it's it's just clear evidence to me that she is incredibly well written Mm -hmm. as a playable protagonist i feel like that's really hard to do especially in a game with so much choice and in max's case it really just added it just every decision and going back and seeing where the other decisions took me all of that just added to my appreciation of her as a character and of the game of course of the broader game in general so i think max caulfield is a plus plus tier perhaps even s plus 
Oh. She might be an S plus character for my for she is number it's one on my there. list. So <laughs> I'd say <laughs> that is that's best. pretty S tier. <laughs> it's pretty S tier. So Max Caulfield, I think she's very excellent and she's really the the key reason that I love that game so much. Nice. Heart heart emoji for her. Big time hearts emojis for her. Big time so hearts. your top three characters then were the Outsider from the Dishonored series. Uh, middle one that I've instantly forgotten, Delilah from Firewatch. <laughs> <laughs> and Max Caulfield from Life is Strange. Very nice. And me and for me, my picks were Dutch Vanderlyn from Red Dead Redemption 2, Bayek Siwa from Assassin's Creed Origins, and Abby Anderson from The Last of Us Part 2. But so real quick though, before we go, um, let's let's do this kind of run through these pretty quickly. But what were some of your honorable mentions if you had any? All of my honorable mentions were characters that, again, come from games with a lot of choice. Uh, I actually wanted to try and put in one of the pigeons from Hauntable Boyfriend. (laughs) I have been thinking about that game so much lately. Once I realized that the developers of Hauntable Boyfriend made Fall Guys, it has just made me constantly think about Hauntable Boyfriend. But I I decided not to go that route. Similarly, I was thinking of potentially doing a character from Dream Daddy, because Mm. I feel like all of those characters are really interesting and fleshed out too. Uh, But I didn't choose any of them. If I had picked one from Dream Daddy, it probably would have been Robert, because he's that mysterious bad boy. He's kind of an asshole, and you're like, what is this guy's deal? So I probably would have picked Robert, but I didn't. Nice. Didn't we give him like the Batman voice when we were doing yeah, our we playthrough did. of Dream Daddy? <laughs> we talk like Batman. <laughs> uh, so my choices, though, uh, my honorable mentions, I'll just run through these real quick, were Senua from Hellblade, Senua Sacrifice. Ooh, Ar- I wondered if you were going to do that one. I she thought was, about it, too. She was yeah. close. She was almost there. Uh, Arthur Morgan from Red Dead Redemption 2, Chloe Price, Life is Strange, Mimir from God of War, Kratos Ooh. from God of War, and Aloy from Horizon Zero Dawn. My other runner-up, I almost almost forgot about her. I actually wanted to do Jesse from Control. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was pretty interesting. Jesse was pretty As, awesome. I actually really wanted to do Langston from Control, but I couldn't justify it. I just love him. <laughs> <laughs> he has a very small role, but yeah, he's he was a great character. He, he's just he fun. But but Jesse is a really interesting and complex character, and I think she she definitely would have been a good runner up. I just mm-hmm. don't feel like I I have that strong emotional attachment to right, her and that's that due to some of the other characters. Eventually, that's what really it came down to for me was trying to was finding the characters that I did have a very strong emotional tie with. Yeah, because especially in my in my choices, all three of them had very emotional journeys. But, you know, like it's when I think of Red Dead Redemption 2, what do I think about a lot? I think of Dutch Vanderlyn. When I think of yeah. Origins, I think of Bayek. And then and then last was part two. Yeah, I was just like I like Abby is what sticks out to me from from all those. Games. Absolutely. So, well, that concludes our run through of our favorite characters from the PS4 and Xbox One console generations. Can you let us know what some of your favorites were as well? So write us an email at teamchatpodcast at gmail.com. Message us on any of our social media or Discord. We'd love to hear from you all. But that pretty much wraps up this episode of Team Chat Podcast. Until next time, everyone, I'm one of your hosts, Jarrett Wilson, joined by Rachel Moe. Adios. We'll see you all next week. Bye.